0: hearings don't seem to have any of those and now we have something we've got the ICFB Sergeant <laughs> David Brown who is Definitely going forward. to give us a presentation and report I believe so welcome
1: uh, thank you Your worship council for uh, having me again uh, essentially what brings me here before council today is uh, two mm-hmm. items uh, first a report on a quarter three statistics uh, address any questions concerns from council uh and then also to kind of share a little bit about what we've been doing over the last quarter and to provide kind of a year-end summary and wrap-up of our efforts with respect to our annual performance plan uh so our annual performance plan as you know is uh begins in in april of every year uh and so i'll be canvassing council for uh, priorities uh, where you would like to see the police detachment uh you know Provide special attention, right, or focus our, uh, you know, objectives above and beyond just our normal day-to-day calls for service uh, response, right? Uh, So, I'll start with quarter three, uh, and then we'll go from there. Uh, So, with respect to quarter three, uh, I'll just uh, draw one's attention to the crime statistics. So, basically, what we're seeing, as usual, right, is a quarter-by-quarter comparator to uh, previous years. So, you notice in 2022, uh, we've seen a small uptick in the the number of uh, reported assaults to the detachment from last year, uh, with uh, three new occurrences there. Uh, so that's staying relatively level, but over a five-year period, we have seen a, a marked increase in that category. Uh, uttering threats, we've seen, uh, you know, an increase there as well. Now. My qualification, whenever I pray, provide statistics of any kind, whether it be in favor of the detachment, uh, like a cross-board reduction or an increase, right, is that there are a lot of different factors externally that can impact this, right? And so it's difficult uh, to draw deductions from a quarterly basis only um, when it comes to reports of assault, for example. oftentimes times, victims can come forward and disclose a number of assaults that have taken place historically or whatnot, so that could impact these numbers as well. So it's not necessarily to say that uh, you know these. Uh, these reports are, are what occurred in this quarter, right? So, I mean, it has to be uh, looked at from like a, a global perspective, I guess, is what I'm trying to get across. Uh, when we take a look at uh, property crime, we've seen a substantial increase in a couple different categories and reductions in a couple break and enters, we've seen a substantial increase from 18 in 2021 to a report of 37 in the same quarter, so that's October through December within the Town of Peace River only uh, this year. And I'll talk a little bit about contributing factors to that here shortly. So that's a 48% increase over a period of five years and 106% uh, over, over the last year. Bearing in mind that last year was our all-time low as well, right? So when you compare that to, to this year's number, we're going from our all-time low to our all-time high. Uh, mischief to other, and that's uh, basically an in, in, in obstruction of enjoyment of property, and I'll discuss this a little bit uh, as well, has seen a, a record increase of 121% over five years, or 90% from last year to this year. Where we have seen reductions, some good news, is theft in motor vehicles. So a 29% reduction from last year's uh, total to this year. Uh, theft under five we've seen a reduction there over a period of five years of 19%. Uh, and reports of fraud also is relatively stable, uh, no change from last year, and a 42% overall reduction. So where I will speak to uh, what we're dealing with here, uh, it, namely an alarming number of uh, break and being reported, as well as mischief other. So. You'll notice that mischief is divided into two categories. Damage to property discusses vandalism, things like graffiti, that sort of thing. The, the mischief other category is where we're seeing a huge increase, right? And that is essentially when a person obstructs enjoyment of property. So uh, to provide an example, if uh, you know a person were uh, going into a bank festival, right, and uh, someone is there obstructing their enjoyment of access to the machine, that would be classified as mischief, all right? so basically where we're seeing the uptick in both these categories is as a result of social issues that our town is dealing with right now right uh contributing factors to that uh is i believe is is known across the table here is that uh, we've seen a release uh, an increase in release of prisoners uh, from prcc into our community and that is impacting Uh, some of these statistics Mm -hmm. Uh, the bottom line is is that uh, we have people of high needs uh, that are dealing with homelessness addictions and mental health issues issues, right that are driving this call volume but it's not necessarily to suggest that this is criminal in nature right Um, we have some challenging individuals that present uh, is is having some complex issues right and it scares people right When you're walking down the street and you see somebody in the middle of the street yelling and screaming right that alarms people and it generates calls for service to the police and the police will go and will interact with that person there may may or may not be a criminal offense that's taking place so we do an assessment to determine whether or not uh, we have grounds for an apprehension under the mental health act right to convey them to Grand prairie to the closest designated facility or if those grounds aren't met and they're not committing a criminal offense then we'll have a discussion and send them on their way right oftentimes That same client can generate five, six, seven calls for service in one day. These people's needs are complex, and uh, the challenge is is that it doesn't stop members of the public from calling us. The police still get called. Or alternatively, if a different service is contacted, say EMS to deal with somebody who uh, has been drinking or has passed out, (coughs) you know, and it generates alarm for the community, oftentimes because of the history of that particular client, EMS activates us as part of their protocols. So now this isn't a policing issue, but you're seeing an uptick in reports of mischief because we're being activated there. So I guess what I'm trying to convey to council is that a lot of the increases that we're seeing here in the crime stats are reflected from high needs individuals that we have in our community. I would say we have about 12 to 15 uh, that we interact with um, on a fairly daily basis and often multiple times a day. And that issue is exacerbated by uh, you know, a release of, of clientele from Peace River Correctional Center into our communities because there's no bus service to send them back home to their communities. So unless their clients are able to arrange uh, prior to their release someone to come pick them up and take them back to their own community, whether it be Grand Prairie, High Level for instance, Red Earth Creek, um, they're being dropped off in Peace River, right? So um, if they're being dropped off in Peace River,
2: is it because we don't have a bus service? Is that the only reason why these prisoners are mm-hmm. dropped off and stay in our town?
1: Well, all I can re- really relay is third-hand information from uh, you know uh, employees of the correctional center. So I think that information best comes from an employee of PRCC, and perhaps they could be invited to present to council. It's my understanding that essentially, prior to their release, they're given an opportunity to make arrangements to for pickup or to have someone come to their home community, right? They're, uh with with the lack of a bus service now that goes those routes, before they'd be given a bus ticket upon release, right? And they would they would catch that bus and go to their home community the majority of the time. Uh, with that, in absence of the bus service, I understand that now, uh, you know, instead of being driven home because of complications with that and, uh, and the requirements for that under OHS, uh, you know, they're making use of our local shelters. Okay, Councilor Good. Uh,
3: I'm sort of probably treading on ice here to a degree, but when, let's say a person comes from XYZ community, they go to court at XYZ community, they're then transported at somebody's expense to some place, i.e. Peace River. Why is the negative effect felt in Peace River to some extent, and I, I hate to use the analogy but if, if I spill gasoline in the water they come after me for spilling gasoline <clears throat> in the water then that cause it because if to, to some degree it's, it's unfortunate that the the costs of it are being borne by the community that's doing nothing more than providing the service that the rest of the province wants i.e the, the uh, Correctional Center the community in the region is housing that or whatever and it's kind of like well yeah but after we're finished with them ah, too bad how sad our hands are tied we're washed with the situation and you guys kind of got to pick it up because we're just gonna let them go here so so maybe Mr.
0: Good, you could save those conversation or that comment because um, staff sergeants kind of okay. reporting on one aspect related but we might have a, a different person we should be asking those questions to that
3: might help us,
1: not... Yeah, I think I can probably respond to that quickly and just say, uh, yeah, I agree, right, that um, when we see an influx of clients, wherever uh, they may be from, right, uh, if they're from other communities, um, you know, I would assume that the fundraising, the grant proposals and what have you that uh, provide those services to where they... Come from, right? Whether it be Grand Prairie another community, those communities, you know, should have the services in place to provide that service. But when they get displaced in or out here, obviously now, you know, the, the community feels the weight of that. Um, so, uh, with respect to the Peace River Correctional Center, again, I can't really make uh, submissions on their behalf, but I understand that for some time they did try, uh, you know, to uh, you re- repatriate people back to their home communities and, and to send their own staff to do that transport in the absence of a bus service. Uh, So I don't think it would be fair to characterize that they're washing their hands of it, uh, but Mm -hmm. uh, certainly complexities have arisen that have prevented them from continuing to do that. And I think they'd probably be the best people at the table to present that to council. It's a structural issue. Uh, So I guess overall, uh, what I'm suggesting is that this is where we're seeing our biggest challenges. We're seeing an influx of high-needs clients, right, uh, that are in need of services, uh, that we're just a capacity um and, and unable to provide and so uh the general calls for service versus which is where we're seeing this uptick right um on page two i mean we can see here as well our mental health calls for service have gone up 200 uh when we do a year by year comparator from uh you know over the last five years to where we are over this last quarter and a 65 increase from last year so you know, some of my assertions are reflected in, in, in so much as that, you know, we're seeing a big uptick in, in <coughs> clients that have uh, high needs, and uh, and then we're also feeling the impact of that in the community, and it's generating call volume for the police. So the question is, okay, well, what are we doing about it? Well, I guess my first assertion uh, would be that we can't police out of this. Uh, argue, and from my perspective, this isn't a policing issue to begin with, right? Uh, if we have somebody who is in crisis, whether it be because of addictions or mental health issues, the first contact ought not to be the police, but we are the only frontline service provider, aside from EMS, that is actually out there and will respond to the public's calls for service. So that generates and, uh, and increases our, our numbers, and then invariably what ends up happening at the end of the day is that you know, some of this behavior will turn criminal in absence of being addressed by any other service provider. So there's a service delivery gap. So, uh, I mean, the detachment myself, I'm, I'm on uh, the mental health task force with uh, Councillor Boychuk, uh, and we've been working to try and uh, you know, secure services for our community's most vulnerable people to try and lessen the impact of this on our town. But that's a, that's a long-term goal, right? Uh, recently, we uh, collaborated to uh, you know, propose a resolution for RMA. Uh, to you know increase funding for mental health addiction services and homelessness services uh, here in, in rural areas uh, but again that's that's a long-term prospect kind of thing and so we're, we're collaborating with all our service providers we've met with uh, Sakatawa as recently as, mm-hmm. as last week to discuss and confirm that what they're feeling is what the police are feeling right that we're seriously lacking as a community people whether it be addiction services or mental health services supports to meet people where they're at in the street when they need that support right because a lot of our most highest risk clients don't have the ability to to make an appointment to sit in a waiting room right and and to keep an appointment as, as traditionally one would right they need services where they're at and so that's what we're lobbying for and hoping to achieve with that and uh, you know with the long-term goal of uh, you know having an impact positively on the community and the supports that are in place for everybody who needs them Were there any questions about the quarter three statistics? i got none.
2: Four hundred and eighty percent the liquor act. What would that be? Percent change, twenty eighteen to twenty twenty two, under total
1: federal. Right. So this would be the number of actual proactive charges that were laying under the liquor act. Right? So a liquor act, uh, well, or it could be a complaint about, uh, you know, that falls under the liquor act. So. Uh, For example, uh, a report of somebody uh, grossly intoxicated in public, right, that could fall under the Liquor Act. Uh, You know, somebody uh, consuming alcohol uh, in public, right, that would fall under the Liquor Act.
2: But where did the 480% come from under, that's the number I'm wondering, brought on the
1: percent change? Uh, Increase in reporting of people that are are either using liquor openly in public, right, or committing an offense under the Liquor Act. So that would be, you know, uh, using liquor in public being grossly intoxicated so before that time before that time you
2: didn't get as many calls that is that
1: well when we do a year by year comparator, we're seeing an increase here uh, of a substantial amount of course right so we could have still but like I say we've got to be careful when we take a look at quarterly statistics because that not, might not be representative overall of what we felt throughout the year this is a quick snapshot between October and December Fair enough. Yeah. uh so i'd like to present a little bit about where we're at uh with our annual performance plan so as you guys know uh every year uh as we approach april i go out to all our community groups all of our uh you know councils uh in the canvas for you know our policing priorities over the last couple of years it stayed the same right uh and so uh in preparing our annual performance plan for the 2023-2024 fiscal year uh i'm again going out to all the councils and, and asking where uh you believe the community's priority shared the police's priorities for the community should lie outside of our regular calls for service and, and that sort of thing over uh the last year last year identified uh, collaboratively uh, was that uh, drugs were an issue, uh, property crime reduction, and police community visibility is basically where we were asked to focus our attention, and I can uh, give a little bit of a report about where we are. I've given you this piecemeal uh, over the last couple quarters I've come to report, but I'll provide you with a bit of an overview, like a quick summary of where we are with all of those priorities. So first off, drugs and, and drug trafficking in the community. We know, obviously, that a contributing factor to some of the numbers that we're seeing with, uh, with respect to increases for people who are in crisis for mental health and addiction stem from access to drugs, right? So as much as we're trying to support it on the social end, we're also trying to interrupt the drug, drug flow, and that was identified uh, you know, when we did our uh, priority canvassing last year by all the communities that we serve. So to focus on that, uh, we have a piece uh, general investigation section, which uh, you know is two of our members who are dedicated to playing those investigations, doing more complex investigations in the region. At the onset of the year, we did a two-month investigation into regional drug trafficking that culminated in the execution of a search warrant on a business, residence, and vehicle, all of which were here in the town of Server operating here. Uh, as a result of the investigation, we uh, seized a significant amount of cocaine packaged for trafficking as well as 95,000 contraband cigarettes, $30,000 in cash proceeds of crime, as well as a loaded handgun. So, we collaborated with uh, some of our regional teams to see that success, uh, and we saw uh, three individuals charged in relation to drug trafficking, firearms, and possession of stolen property. Uh, moving on throughout the summer, uh, we did a month-long investigation into a regional drug trafficking ring that uh, resulted in a search warrant being executed on a residence and a vehicle uh, over in the county of Northern Lights. So the investigation resulted in a seizure of 55 grams of cocaine, 20 grams of methamphetamine, 233 pills of MDMA, uh, various uh, quantities of LSD, psilocybin, fentanyl, and other drugs. Uh, in addition to over 75,000 contraband cigarettes, $61,000 in cash proceeds of crime, uh, and a taser, uh, as well as other weapons. So, as a result of the investigation, one individual was charged with uh, trafficking controlled substances, a variety of offenses, and those matters are still before the courts. Uh, the Peace River General Investigation Section, again, uh, in October, completed an investigation into drug trafficking and firearm possession at a known drug trafficker's residence in Grimshaw. Uh, We enlisted the assistance of our emergency response team, right, which is the equivalent of a SWAT team essentially from Edmonton because of the propensity for violence of this individual and because our investigation focused on firearms. Uh, As a result of that execution of the search warrant, uh, we seized a firearm, 80 grams of methamphetamine, along with drug trafficking paraphernalia. Uh, An individual was charged with various offenses arising from that and uh, the matter is still before the courts. Uh, later on, Peace River General Investigation Section completed a firearms investigation uh, and partnered with uh, our, uh, our team again uh, to execute search warrants at two residences here in the town of Peace River. As a result of the investigations, over 20 ounces of cocaine, 48 grams of methamphetamine, 10 grams of fentanyl overseas, as well as a 12-gauge shotgun, and two loaded prohibited handguns. Three individuals were charged in relation to that investigation. Uh, and most recently we also uh, assisted Fairview detachment uh, running basically a uh, investigation that uh, resulted in the search warrant uh, being executed at a residence there uh, and again various amounts of cocaine uh, psilocybin and a 12 gauge uh, shotgun along with ammunition were seized as a result of that individual is charged with the number of offenses those matters before the courts so these successes come from a huge investment in time and resources um, these investigations are typically complex. The individuals we're <coughs> targeting are typically not first time criminals, right? And so uh, it requires more complex investigation to gather the evidence that we need to obtain a search warrant to conduct these searches and see successes, basically, where we're at. So throughout the year, we've really focused on that. Not only, and I won't go into the techniques. Uh, But they're time-consuming right and we've done a lot of development within our junior membership at the detachment to bring them up So that we have a sustainable group of people that can continue these efforts as we go into the next uh, fiscal year With respect to police visibility in the community uh, we track uh, Through the division and through the district uh, How many interactions that we have with the public whether it be going out to community events? Whether it be meetings with elected officials and so on or community connections Um, our detachment Peace River uh, holds the third highest in the entire division for interactions with our, uh, you know, community groups and, the, and with the public and with councils, and the highest in our district. So we're actively out there, uh, you know, from volunteering at the soup kitchen to being out in ceremonial uh, dress for a variety of uh, things that we're invited to throughout the community to interacting with councils. And we're we're pretty unique in so much as I serve ten different councils in our in our region here. So. Uh, you know there's a lot of interaction with our community groups with various councils and, uh, and being out regularly to provide everybody with the reports and updates that they're hoping for so uh, as a result of that I can talk a little bit about our community connections that we've done throughout the year but it's seen us involved in everything from uh, you know the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation to Sisters and Spirit marches to uh, you know treaty days uh, to wellness days um, and uh, part of our our boards and committees uh, We're represented on various boards and communities throughout the region, search and rescue, uh, stepping up the North Beach Society for uh, Prevention of Domestic Violence. We're on the Aboriginal Aboriginal Interagency Committee as as well as many, many more. So we're active and hopefully quite visible in the community with everybody. Now with summer, uh, you know, hopefully around the corner, uh, we'll be out doing bike rodeos and uh, interacting with with youth in, in the schools and in the community a lot more as well. That's kind of where we're at with our annual performance plan, and so I guess uh, now I'd like to throw it back to council and uh, and, and open open up for questions or concerns, uh, and also discuss where you'd like to see us go in the next fiscal year.
0: So, so one, of the thing- one of the things that uh, was mentioned was uh, traffic. Um, can you speak or enlarge upon I don't know traffic issues or?
1: Uh, yeah, I wouldn't see. I would say and I say this just off the top of my head that we've seen a huge increase in in problematic traffic behaviors especially not over the winter months Uh, where we typically do see that is when when spring hits and summer hits uh, and people are you know getting their their summer cars back out on the road and wanting to open them up a little bit right and uh, so that's typically when we see the majority of traffic complaints come so our enforcement as far as that goes is typically focused around that but we do have a traffic unit that does have a member that's out and about Uh, it's provincially funded right it's not a municipal unit Uh, and they're out uh, conducting enforcement throughout the region uh, in the town of peace river and beyond as well Uh, they do have vacant positions in that unit right now Uh, so you know if you are seeing a drop off Mm -hmm. in traffic enforcement that contributes to that as well but again it's not a municipally funded unit it's a provincial one right and so everybody in the region gets the benefit of that uh with respect to us at the detachment level doing traffic enforcement uh i do have a junior membership right and so especially with the pandemic having impacted training and whatnot it's now us trying to get uh, mandatory training completed that uh, we need to stay on top of but also getting people uh, laser radar trained and whatnot Uh, we do have a handful that have been and we're getting them out on the road and making sure that they're visible doing enforcement but again where you see a drop off is typically in the winter months where aggressive driving behaviors aren't something that are uh, you know, as problematic as they are during summer months. So,
0: so um, Peace River, I think, shares one of those traffic uh, things that say you're going 51 in the 50s zone or something like that. Um, are, are we scheduled to get it back in town somewhere, or we should request if we
1: want? Uh, so, through our RCMP Community Advisory Committee that meets monthly, uh, and I believe Councillor Boychuk will be joining us uh, Wednesday for that meeting uh yeah we, certainly we can we can draft that we have a speed reader reward that uh, the committee has uh and then the committee had previously raised money for a speed reader trailer which we take out in the summer months Taking it out in the winter is problematic simply because it's battery driven and we've seen that the coal can really be a draw on that battery and uh, then it put it out of commission for some time before it was recently repaired. So we keep it uh, warm and inside until the summer months when, when it's needed and then we will take it out. The community liaison officer that uh, the town shares uh, cost funding for uh, will make sure that it's deployed pretty much daily uh, throughout the community, uh, You know, wherever there's, a, there's an issue. And then a request can be made to our community advisory committee for the one that we actually put up on and leave in a spot for an extended period of time and get statistics from that. Okay, well, I've got my suspicions about speeders in the spring, <laughs> et cetera, but I
0: have observed uh, a few people being pulled over, um, uh, let's say, leaving the bridge area uh, recently. So it was good to <coughs> see. And thank your officers for uh, <coughs> attending to certain aspects of that.
3: Yes. Uh,
4: yeah, so the speed reader board that the agenda just came up for Wednesday Wednesday night's meeting Unfortunately, I can't attend. I'm away on work, but uh, that speed reader board is currently in the village and app I do believe it's in the schools or on the main highway um, So one more comment and I do have a question is in regards to the the apprehensions you made with the drugs and all that so can you comment on how many of those individuals after their arrests were made, how many are remanded into custody, and how many have been released on bail? Or do you
1: have those numbers? Off the top of my head, I don't. I know there were instances where we did uh, arrest, charge an individual. They were brought before justice, and they were released. Uh, and then uh, you know, released some conditions, uh, breached those conditions, and then we were required to go and reapprehend. As to where everybody is right now, I'm not entirely certain. I can tell you for the... First uh, one here in P-Server, I think we uh, charged three people. I believe all of those individuals are on release right now. Uh, with respect to the second one, that was for County Northern Lights, that individual's on release. Uh, Grimshaw, initially I believe uh, remanded in custody, but there's, there's two ways which a person can be remanded in custody they can do that by choice right by choosing not to speak at their bail hearing right with the understanding that they can retain counsel right and then bring that up later on right uh, so that they have the benefit of somebody representing them at that at that hearing right uh, so I believe initially that person elected to remain in custody and then was subsequently released uh, on a release order and conditions which then were breached which then we uh, went and rearrested. arrested uh, And the last two off the top of my head, I'm not entirely certain, so I can't speak to that. Uh, what I will say is when a person is released from custody, especially with our, our large investigations, is typically conditional, right? And we, uh, among the membership of the detachment, uh, keep close eye on those uh, you know, conditions, and we will do regular condition compliance checks. And If a person is found not to be in compliance with their conditions, then we'll uh, lay the appropriate charges. Um, so yeah, not in every instance, but somebody remanded into custody following their bail hearing. And that's unfortunately beyond the control of the police
4: thank you and the uh, the last comment i wanted to make you had uh, asked for priorities uh personally myself i'd like to see them stay the same um especially with the uptake in uh, uh property crime and our downtown businesses uh that kind of thing uh, the drugs yeah s- still another one there's still lots out there and the third one as far as uh having the the RCMP visible in in the communities is high priority for me as well.
0: So uh, Staff Sergeant, I I don't think, we haven't had a discussion, we're maybe likely to follow follow the Deputy Mayor's uh, thoughts on that, but we haven't really discussed it as a council, so when would you like our version of the
1: goals for next year? Uh, As soon as possible. (laughs) (laughs) I will uh, endeavor to get our performance plan done before the end of the month essentially is uh you know we're looking as we go into the new fiscal year what does that look like for us we want to have that uh you know plan in place so come april 1st we're already contributing to that right yeah. so
0: okay this is a short time frame i'm sure we'll work it into our schedule any other questions for the staff sorry uh Councillor and councillor scammer i
1: gave uh with the grant Grandbury- prairie RCMP uh, going to city, please, is that we're going to lose any assets to Peace River, so that's not going to affect us? No, uh, so I've already had a discussion with the other team that we have out there Uh, so for those who don't know, we have two teams that serve the region uh, based out of Grand Prairie, the Rural Crime Reduction Unit and the Alberta Law Enforcement Response Team, and both of those teams are able to assist us with uh, both overt and covert uh, capabilities, right, above and beyond uh, you know what we're able to, to provide at the local level, right? Uh, all our peace officers here are community members. And so, you know, occasionally they recognize that sort of thing as our vehicles that we use at the detachment, right? So when we're doing complex investigations, we oftentimes draw on uh, other units to help us out with that, right? Uh, and to assist in supporting our investigations. And speaking with alert, uh, they will not be leaving Grand Prairie simply because of the structure there. Uh, I understand that the municipality funded two positions out of what, however many they had. So, you know, that may or may not continue. I do not know. But it shouldn't have an impact on their availability to deploy and assist us here. Uh, and as far as I understand, that shouldn't impact a rural crime reduction unit either. So, uh, bearing in mind that the city of Grand Prairie itself uh, would be the only place impacted by that because we cover all the surrounding region around it, right? The, the rural Grand Prairie area. Uh, you know Fairmont, Saxmouth, etc. So we still have a presence in in around Grand Prairie just not in the city I suppose and that uh, that conversion is going to take several years as well right so yeah. And then uh, speaking of Grand Prairie I see they've got like a reported drug house kind of hotline do we have anything like that here or are we still just going through Crime Stoppers if we suspect a drug host in our community? Well so there's a couple different avenues the first first is that a person could call the detachment directly and of course that's the most benefit to us because we can ask clarifying questions. A tip, no matter how it comes in, is is really kind of difficult because whatever information is provided, we have no means to follow up, right? So a person might say to us, well, you know, I think this is a drug house. Okay, well, I mean, that's difficult to action uh, sometimes, right, because we'll have, let's say, 10 of these reports. And if one provides me with detailed information is, I believe my neighbor is running a drug house and I believe it because you know, we see increased activity there, both pedestrian and vehicular traffic going there, an increase on Friday and Saturday nights between 11 and 1 o'clock in the morning. Well, if I only have so many resources, where am I going to put my resources, in the one where there's most actionable information, right? So oftentimes we get well-intentioned tips, but the tip information is very much lacking, right? And without a means of follow-up, there's, there's no way for us to really get more information, I suppose, right? Uh, So where we're trying to focus our attention is getting information out through our meetings with Rural Crime Watch. Uh, A town hall meeting is scheduled actually for uh, tomorrow night in uh, Grimshaw this time, although the the location rotates. Uh, And uh, it's over at the Multiplex. So it's starting at 6.15, we're opening with a fraud presentation, uh, like seniors fraud, cyber fraud, that sort of thing. And then we're following with a a Rural Crime Watch meeting. And that's some of the discussion points is, hey, if you're gonna uh, submit a tip to us, Make sure that it has the information necessary for us to do something with it, right? Um, so Crime Stoppers is an option. Calling the detachment is an option, although I understand that people are reluctant to get involved directly, right? Uh, so we don't have actually reported a reported drug house line beyond that, but there is SCAD. It's a Safe Communities and Neighborhood Program through the Alberta Sheriffs. Uh, and while they don't investigate from a criminal perspective, they do from a civil one, right? Uh, So if there's a property that's disrupting a neighborhood just because of the activity and that sort of thing They can partner with us uh, to do a civil investigation and do property seizures that sort of thing Whereas we focus on the criminal component Uh, So all those avenues exist a scam referral has to come from a member of the community cannot come from the police So that's citizen generated, right? Uh, So uh, that's an avenue that's out there as well Okay, thank you
5: I had a a conversation with a few people over the uh, the last while, and 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 part of the suspicion that that some people have is that having a MAT program in town is an attractant to people to be in town for for well, P.J. is a really good place to hang out if you don't have anywhere to go or whatever because at least there's the, you know the math program there, and so there you know the the belief is that potentially it exacerbates other issues by helping in, in, in one area you know it makes things worse in another um is that uh something that you would potentially notice because uh, i i know it gives you you know an option to where you may be able to take people as opposed to having to hold them already the Baron the prairie and so there's a lot of
1: operational benefit for you guys but you know what yeah in terms of drawing a direct connection that's that's a little bit difficult i guess yeah. um, what I would say is this, is that oftentimes the majority of interactions are with people that are outside of the MAP program, so either sleeping in a bank lobby overnight, uh, you know, or or otherwise disrupting, you know, the community, whether it be businesses or, or what have you. Whether or not the program itself was an attractive for people, I, I don't have the numbers to suggest one way or another. Yeah, I, um, and I know it's a tough question. It, it is, very new one. it is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I can really answer that uh, from a fact base. All I can tell you is really what I feel, and I, I believe that, you know, these clients were in our area anyways, right? Uh, historically, um, what has changed is is difficult to put a finger on in terms of, uh, you know, how this is being felt in our community a little bit more over the, over the recent years. I will say that, uh, you know, in my opinion, there is a direct correlation between, uh, you know, drug use and, and, and some of the mental health challenges that we're seeing, right? And underlying that assertion is basically, you know, we're taking, we're, historically we had apprehended a lot of people that we believe to be in crisis dealing, from, uh, dealing with mental health issues, conveyed them to our designated facility in Grand Prairie only to have them assessed by a physician and say, hey, no, the underlying issue here isn't mental health, it's addictions, right? This is what you're seeing, right? Uh, and so as a result of that, they're not able to really do much for them Uh, if a person is, is, you know, stuck in that cycle of addiction, I suppose. And so we're seeing them, you know, not really treated, released, sent back to the community because you can't mandate people with addictions issues into care. Um, So I think methamphetamine being available and uh, being pervasive, not only in our community, but in all the communities that we're seeing in the region, Uh, and in the cities, right, is really uh, triggering or an epidemic with respect to the behaviors that we see that are, uh, you know, causing the police interactions and the calls from the public. Um, You know, this isn't something that we saw 10 years ago when cocaine was the hardest drug that we would see here in town, right? Methamphetamine is different. It has uh, immediate and long-term lasting effects on a person's, uh, like, emotional state and their behaviors. you know and i think that's where where a lot of this is being seen and felt so whether or not it's because of the availability of the map program it is difficult to really say i would say the kind of drugs we're seeing in our community now is different from what it was before uh and i mean that was uh, for a long time that's been the case in bigger centers such as grand prairie edmonton Calgary, and now we're seeing it trickle up north and we're feeling the impact of it in our communities and that's something difficult to contend with great right, thank you it's, it's a non, It's a lot of words for a non-answer. Uh, no, it,
5: it's, it's it's insight. It's, yeah. it's information that uh, I mean, you don't always get the information you ask for, but if you get good information, that's okay too. So.
1: Yeah, i I've, yeah. I've had the benefit of being here in this community for eighteen years, and I haven't seen. Uh, you know, it's been gradual but I haven't seen what we've seen and felt this last year before in this community I don't believe it's because of the introduction of one particular service or the other I believe it's because we're seeing uh, the proliferation of, of difficult drugs and substances that people are getting addicted to uh, and that are you know very behavior causing right for for some of our most problematic clients. And the problem is, is that after prolonged use of this, right, a person loses the ability to manage themselves, right, and now you have somebody whose behavior is, you know, almost semi-permanently this way, right, Uh, and that's difficult for a community to manage. What does that take? Round-the-clock care. And do we have the capacity for the services? No, we don't. And I think that conversation is being had on every level in every municipality. We take a look to Edmonton, right, what are they doing to try and deal with it while they're They're, you know, making teams with uh, Edmonton police and the sheriffs and putting them out on the on the street, right? But realistically, is this this a policing issue? No, we're just a service provider that's there and available to respond, and the only one, especially in this community, right? Yeah, yeah. If there's a gap, it's always you guys that ends up filling it. Yeah, and you know what? There's been an international discussion about, you know, ought mental health addictions and homelessness be criminalized? Uh, And the answer is absolutely not, Uh, but it's the last service provider of default. And oftentimes we've interacted with that person on multiple occasions before, finally the behavior turns criminal and this is all we're left with because there's a lack of services otherwise, right? And unfortunately, the problem is that the justice system is not likely to remand somebody into custody as a result of that, right? Because we have, you know, you know a, a theft or a break and enter, and those you know a person under bill c75 is entitled to you know release as soon as possible under the least onerous circumstances right um, so me charging a person right although that um, might be the outcome that some people hope for doesn't really do anything because that person now has a court date but it's a month down the road and so how does that alleviate the burden on the community so you can't police yourself out of this basically what we need is social supports and services. And so that's kind of what we're, the direction that we're going with our involvement in the mental health task force is understanding that and uh, doing what we can to address it.
3: Councilor Green, I was just gonna say your answers in the last little bit have gone a long way to answer my questions in the first part. And I think um, your, your statement about not being able to police your way out of it, and you're not, is probably very accurate.
1: It's not so, to suggest that we're hands off. We're certainly we are on the front line, we feel this a lot because, you know, eight calls a day for the same client and we're going, geez, like if only there was some place we could direct this person or some support for them so that this behavior could stop and we could stop going to deal with this. We don't want to be in that spot. So it's not as though we're hands off. We're going, Okay, how can we get involved? How can we solution seek? Which is part of why I jumped on board when Counselor Boychuk uh, developed the mental health task force and we're tight partners with every service provider in the community, right? Whether it be H uh, S or uh, you know the Second or the MAP program, uh, but solutions are expensive and difficult to come by, right? Basically, we need people out in the field delivering services to people that need that need it when they need it, and that might be two o'clock in the morning. So, you know, otherwise the default service provider is the police, and we're doing what we can with the skill set that we have. But mental health and addiction support isn't really our skill set. <coughs>
5: And when it fails because you're the ones on scene, you get probably a lot of unnecessarily blame and finger-pointing. And well,
1: For sure. I mean, that's been the global discussion for a long time. And so I guess what I'm suggesting is the roots go a lot deeper and a lot more complicated than might seem on service. surface. So.
0: Definitely many dimensions to the any one situation. There's fingers all over the place, I would think. Um, or underlying issues and things. Um, Councillor Carr, did you have any... Uh, no. Questions? Anybody else? Councillor Shannon, can you Okay. Um, so, um, thank you for that. I'm going to go back to the first page of our briefing note. Um, there's a mention here that 911 is moving to a, a new generation, next generation, something. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, so, basically, uh, from what I understand, there's just going to be an evolution in, uh, you know, people's abilities to, uh, to contact 911, and so it's not just uh, through picking up a phone and calling, but it's being expanded to include text uh, services and that sort of thing, how people typically communicate in this day and age. Right? Uh, so, with that, there has to be an equipment overhaul, uh, so... When you call 911, our, our primary service answering point is in Grand Prairie, right? Uh, and then that's redirected to the service that requires it. They also dispatch uh, fire, uh, and I believe EMS is done separately. So if it goes to either police or EMS, then it's gone to a, it goes to a different call center, right? So um, their equipment would need to be upgraded as well. And then, of course, we need the capacity to take that on as well. So our, our call center at Edmonton is being upgraded.
0: Okay. Well, I guess we'll look forward to that, supposedly, in sometime 2024, it says. Um, okay, so with respect to our uh, priorities, and um, CAO Miller, do you have a suggestion as to um, how we can figure out what our priorities are and relay it? I know, I
6: think we've all got some thoughts on the matter. But, um, I was gonna, I know it's kind of late, it's near the end of the month, but we were gonna put it as an agenda item for the next council meeting. Hopefully, get a motion and then we'll relay and I'll let it right back the next day. Okay, so our next council meeting's on the 27th Seven.
0: of the month. <coughs> so we'll be in time, but short time. Well, thank you again, um, uh, Staff Sergeant. Uh, again, some enlightening and it's unfortunate that there's no uh, magic. Uh, I hate to say bullet, but no magic uh, thing that will. Uh, Solved. no magic spell thank you that will solve everything and uh, we just hope that uh, we working together and it does need more resources that 24-hour resource aspect which the police are right now uh, needs to happen in other um, uh, groups in our community somehow or other too and that's a major undertaking and it's a major philosophy policy shift as well I think we're advocating for it uh, in any which ways we can, but uh, like you say, time and money are connected, apparently.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Worship, and thank you, Council. I appreciate it. Well,
0: thank you very much. Thank you. Magic bullet. Yeah, that was a <laughs> magic spell.
1: We go with that one.
0: Oh. It's a blender. It's a blend. <laughs> okay. We're going to uh, next section, which is on bylaws, and uh, first one up, uh, CAO Miller is uh, fees and charges bylaw twenty
6: one twenty seven. Thank you, Your Worship. Okay, so uh, bylaw two one two seven, as mentioned, is an updated version for the fees and charges for twenty twenty three. First reading was given on February thirteenth. And then it was brought back again for further discussion at the GMP on March 6. Since that discussion, there hasn't been any changes um, to the bylaw, As mentioned in the request for decision, it does cover corporate services fees, community services fees, engineering and infrastructure, as well as protective services. Did mention that the GMP, there was quite a bit of change in the protective services fees, particularly around fire response and that was based on um, doing a survey of local and, and nearby uh, fire services and other than that at the moment we are looking for second reading if we could and then we can just um, communicate that out to the members of the public and we'd be seeking third reading next council meeting okay so
0: um, with respect to the fees and charges by law um, number 2127. Does council have any um, comments at this point? So members of the public will still have another uh, time frame to go to third eventually here. Maybe next round. To. Okay. Okay, so um, that's for the 2121 or 2127 and we're also looking, okay, so if this is the is this the strange one where we have to
6: have bylaw this and that? Because there's another one here Yes, too. we yes we are looking for a second reading on 2127 and amending bylaw 2128. Okay. And 2128 was the. what took the fire right. Fire. Um, the um, 2128 God. took the fire. And moved it. And moved it into the other. that? Okay, and the animal control fees. Okay. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Okay. So, with respect to the first matter, um, would uh,
0: anyone on council like to uh, move that council give second reading to the fees and charges bylaw for 2023, uh, bylaw number 2127? Councillor Good so moves. Any further discussion? All those in favor? It is carried. Um, then the other uh, matter, um, with someone in council uh, proposed that council give second reading to the amendment to bylaws 1832 and 1833, which is number 2128. Yep. Okay, Councillor Scannerhorn, so moves. All those in favor? It is carried. So we'll look forward to third reading in the next little while for those. Then we're on to another bylaw. This one is the Municipal Solid Waste Bylaw 2129
6: and CAO Miller. Thank you again, Your Worship. So, two one, uh, Bylaw 2129 is to introduce the new fees for solid waste. Um, <clears throat> this bylaw was given first reading on February 27th and again was brought back for uh, further discussion at the GMP on March 6th. There was a couple of changes that were um, discussed during the GMP. There were some questions brought forward. So um, the questions here, for example, Section 20E, there was a question regarding the placement of approved refuse container, if it was supposed to be four meters. And that was a typo that was identified, thank you. It has been adjusted to 1.2 meters. Under Section 20G, Uh, There was a question regarding the removal of the refuse container within 48 hours uh, as opposed to 24. The um, administration provided a response there that 48 hours allows over the weekend if somebody's gone and we're doing a catch up on Fridays, uh, picking up the bins. Section 21 and 22, there was some clarification provided around those. In particular section 22 the first reading um, was about the plastic bags and a tag so there's some proposed adjustment and the wording as you can see the refuse collector shall not collect and dispose of excess refuse if the plastic bags within the private refuse container do not have appropriate tags affixed. fixed um, and then, as mentioned in the last two times this has been brought forward, administration did propose a $6 increase, which is included in this bylaw. Um, three of that is to help fund the new service that has been provided for the yard waste over the summer. And the other $3 is to start building a solid waste reserve. So with that, we are hoping to get second and third reading this evening so we can uh, put those rates in place. Effective I have to think about it for a second. March nineteenth, eighteenth, or fifteenth. Our, our utilities go from the sixteenth to the fifteenth, so go into effect this month if third reading third reading is given. Okay, thank
0: you. Um,
6: counselors, any questions?
5: Yeah, I, I, I noticed that um, over the last couple of weeks there's been some difficulty with pickup and I was, it, it kind of took me back to the uh, why the 48 hours as supposed to 24 hours. And I think the advantage there is if there's some issues with pickup as we've been unfortunately having, that also gives some leeway for people to, you know, when they're put off from their regular routine. Correct. That's correct, exactly. Which hopefully
0: never happens again thank you for the clarification on uh, the questions that came up I think it's uh, in my mind they're a little more clear now Um, counselors though any further questions okay would a counselor be prepared to put forth a uh, motion that um, Council gives second reading to Municipal Solid Waste Bylaw Number 2129 as amended. Uh, Councillor Goodson moves. All those in favor of that motion? It is carried. And. Um, On third reading. Okay. Councillor Scammerhorn moves that council give third reading to Bylaw 2129. Any further discussion? Okay. All those in favor of the motion? It is carried. Thank you, and thank you, administration, for we work on that one. Thank you. Okay. Then we're moving along to um, Bylaw 2130, which is to amend the Municipal Development Plan Bylaw Number 1894 and 2131 to amend Bylaw Land Use Bylaw Number 1891. There's a whole bunch of numbers in there. It's so Ms. Uh, Modi is going to lead us through this.
7: Good evening, everyone. I'm here to present on two bylaws that have been drafted in response to uh, applications that we've received to amend our municipal development plan and land use bylaw. So specifically we received an application to amend both of those bylaws for the purpose of developing two lots that are on uh, the West Hill and Peaks River with a mix of commercial and residential. Uh, As a result of that application we've prepared bylaw amendments for the town that would allow the town to consider and approve the development uh, if Council so chooses to make those amendments. Uh, I have been reviewing the substance of the, in particular, the uh, Municipal Development Plan Amendment with the developers so they understand what's coming forward for Council. Uh, the conceptual development that the developer is aiming for includes one residential apartment building and for commercial buildings that could include a total of up to 10 units based on some of the site concept we've seen. Uh, the amendment request document provides some additional details that was attached for council's uh, review and there's also a conceptual three-dimensional flyover that can be found on YouTube which the link is active on the RFD so you're able to take a look at that. Uh, so the reason that we need to bring these forward is because right now the municipal development plan does not support residential apartment development within the commercial area of the west hill so when i say that i mean there's a future land use concept map within our municipal development plan uh, that's pink uh, in area in terms of what's designated as commercial and our policies do not support residential within those areas Uh, so we have proposed a bylaw amendment that would allow for the consideration of residential within uh, that area, specifically the added policies direct that an applicant who wanted to do a mixed-use development of that type would be directed to to apply for redistricting to the direct control district of our land use bylaw. And that application would be evaluated based on the new policies that are within the MDP as well as our existing municipal development policies. We've got some specific policies within section 13 of our, of our municipal development plan that also identify uh, considerations that council needs to take into consideration when looking at these bylaws. So we've attached uh, the bylaw 2030 includes those policies and schedule A specifically of that bylaw adds the new policies. It's policy uh, point 0.3, point 0.4 and point five are the new texts. Uh, the first two policies within that schedule are the existing policies of that section within our MDP. Uh, the amendment also adds a specific definition for mixed-use development. So as I said, the result of this would be that uh, development proposals with a residential component within the commercial area would be directed to apply for redistricting to the direct control district. Now the effect of that redistricting would be that uh, the direct control district establishes council as the decision maker. So typically within our land use bylaw the majority of decisions are made either by our development officer or otherwise our municipal planning commission. The one exception to that is any land that's districted direct control that goes to council specifically. Uh, This gives an additional degree of flexibility because there's not site specific regulations associated with this but it also adds additional uncertainty, so there's a yin and a yang in terms of the impacts on the developer here. Um, In addition to this, uh, something that's important to note is that um, there's no appeal option related to direct control, so typically in a development process uh, either the developer or uh, an effective party might have the option to appeal a decision made by the development authority and that would be heard by either the Peace Regional SDAB or otherwise the Property and Land Tribunal at the provincial level depending on the development and its location within town uh, but because it's direct control and council is the final decision maker there is no appeal option with a direct control decision. So that's what directs uh, or the effects of the direct control. That is how Bylaw 2131 is drafted. So this, the Land Use Bylaw Amendment, simply amends our, the district that is applied to these lands from our Highway Commercial District to the Direct Control District. So we're assuming by develop or doing that Bylaw 2131 makes an assumption that Bylaw 2130 proceeds. Uh, so the intent here is that these bylaws start together their process uh, they go to first reading together uh, we would do some advertising after first reading and hold the public hearing which would be the developers opportunity to come forward to speak to council and advocate for their proposal uh, planning will also bring forward a larger um, planning report that will be associated with the bylaws to give a little bit more of the rationale behind the proposal so uh, at the, our current uh, request for a decision is really more of the what of. I'm, I'm answering the question, what are these bylaws? Get into the why and the impact will be further when we get it to the public hearing. Um, but after that, um, the, the option, and if Council wants to give the, um, wants to open the door to potential for residential development on the West Hill, then Council's move would be to approve the amendment to the municipal development plan. So those second and third readings could come in more timely fashion. Mm -hmm. But then based on that direction, we would anticipate that the developer would then need to provide a lot more information to support the application for the actual amendment to the land use bylaw because the intention there is that once council's in the position to say yes to that bylaw amendment, then we would be in a position to very quickly move to a development permit approval or not because we don't want to grant we wouldn't want to enable that development and then take away all of the commercial C2 development rights um, that are currently applied to the land if we're not thinking that we'll be able to substantially say yes to the proposal that would be supported by the direct control. So we would anticipate that the 2nd bylaw would be more slow and we'd probably need to do a second public hearing once we have more site-specific details related to that development. So, for this evening, um, council uh, would need to provide first reading of the bylaw, which would allow administration to schedule the public hearing and give the developer the opportunity to publicly uh, bring forward their application to council for consideration. I can take any questions. This seems
0: very complicated. There are um, no simple sites in these. Yeah, programs. yes. Okay, and so. Basically, we are being asked if we would eventually approve a residential um, facility within this commercial highway kind of district. <coughs> That's correct. Yes. Okay. Okay, Councillors, any questions at this point or clarifying, Councillor Boychuk, and then Councillor Carr?
1: So, is it going to be strictly residential we're talking? Because I see they got two videos. One's kind of showing a strip mall with a whole bunch of. Uh, other businesses like KFC and Taco Bell and then the
7: other ones showing apartment buildings I'm not sure what the two videos are the intention is a single apartment building and then a series of commercial units as well towards the front of the parcel so it would be a mix of commercial and and a residential development as well so we should look at The front of their amendment uh, request is a, a screenshot from the YouTube video, so it does oh, give a... I see, got this one? Oh, there's, there's another one. Yeah. Does, know, see, uh, one does that help? Councillor
0: Boychuk?
8: Like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes? Okay. Um, Councillor Carr? Nope, that answered. She answered that's my
0: question. question. Yep. Okay. So the residential's kind... I don't know if we should get into that, but the residential's kind of at the <coughs> south of the property, south end. Off the highway, for this, from the highway.
7: That is correct. Yeah, definitely, we should get into the yeah. more specifics of the proposal
0: at the public hearing. Yeah. Okay. Any further clarifications, Councillor
5: Scanlon? Is there any any like quite obvious foreseeable like lynchpins to this thing all falling apart? I guess, like, so for a developer, the time is is money, and if the, we've been in a, let's say. potential that you know you've been in a a decision before where it's like there's really no foreseeable way that this works out kind of really in the end and maybe if we could just say no not that it's something we would want to do but because the most likely outcome is a bunch of drawn-out time a bunch of money invested by an, an investor and a developer just to get the no that we know is coming anyways and so my fear would be we say yes until Months down the trail after they put a bunch of more money and time that they could have put into developing somewhere more realistic, you see. So I, I'm not trying to say no. I'm trying to like I, I want to give our best answer as early as
7: possible. Absolutely. Um, at the public hearing, I will have brought forward probably a fairly substantial document that will highlight either what needs what we need to know. Or what are, what are the critical issues that need to be resolved that we're aware of based on the policy framework that we have in place? So at that point, that's a very public document that will kind of spell out what the town would require for council to be in the position to go forward at the, the landing spot with the full redistricting. And then it's up to the developer whether they take that information and how they use
0: it. So at first reading, um, that Schedule A, like at 5.1.5 on there is is quite a list of things that the town shall use the following criteria. So that's part of what you're you're referring to? Yeah? Okay. Good. Thank you. Um, Councilor Shannon, did you have a question? No, I didn't look like you were going to ask something. No, I
4: had mine answered. Okay, thanks, Debbie. Mayor. Yeah, I'm not sure if you'd have the answer to this or not, but I did watch the, the video and I did look at that map there. So the the apartment building is at the back end of the property on the south side. How close is that to the railway track? <coughs> Don't have that measurement off the top of my
7: head but I will say it's in excess of 30 meters, which is the typical CN
0: rail requirement. Okay, so to get us to uh, first reading, or it's either given first reading and more discussion happens, or it's not given first reading and subject is null and void right now sort of thing.
7: But administration would strongly encourage council to provide first reading. When an applicant makes an application, uh, they should have their opportunity for their their day to to share their proposal in a public forum, and and that's what the public hearing is. So by s- passing first reading, you're creating that opportunity for that
0: that public presentation of the proposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So. <clears throat> Any counselor wishing to put forward a motion with respect to 2130? Councillor Shannon? Uh, you want me to read it? Oh, I okay, can. I, I move that council give first reading
2: to the mixed use in commercial areas amendment to municipal development plan 1874, bylaw
0: number 2130. Thank you. Um, all those in favor of that motion? Okay, And it's passed first reading. And we have another. Um, uh, suggested first reading motion with respect to the land use bylaw. Uh, Deputy
4: Mayor?
0: We'll even let you read it. Oh, okay. Uh, Council, uh, um, Deputy Mayor Ford moves that Council give first reading to the land use bylaw number 1891, <coughs> amendment districting plan 3115 HW, lot 11, and plan. 3115 HW, lot 10, bylaw number 2131. Okay, I hope you got all those numbers correctly. All those in favor of <coughs> reading, thank you. It is carried. Okay, well, thank you, and uh, looks like it's going to be an excellent upcoming discussions, and uh, looking forward to all the input. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, unfinished business. Don't seem to ever have any unfinished business. Um, (laughs) That's probably. That's quite interesting. Um, Section 8, new business. We have um, a briefing note on um, the Apega Science Olympics 2023 and um, Director McQuaig.
3: Thank you, you
9: Worshipping Council. So, uh, Apega, the Association of Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Alberta, is holding their annual science olympics event for uh, students uh, throughout the region and uh, we have two divisions in there uh we have a junior division uh seven to ten and then another division ten to twelve so we're running two divisions uh, through the science olympics on the 18th of uh, march being this saturday uh and we're just looking for enabling motion to enable the mayor to bring greetings and award prizes at the event uh, and hopefully uh, yourself and Madam Mayor where your designate uh, could attend and, and uh, award the prizes to the uh, successful students. We're looking at 80 students be, and
0: being in attendance this year and it's being held at PSA. Great. Well it's always an excellent event and a lot of work goes into it behind the scenes by supervisors and. The students themselves so um, yes um, I think it's a very worthwhile event and it goes into all that STEM education business so it's a good thing. So um, would someone be willing to move to enable mayor, manzer or designate to attend the uh, 2023 Opega Peace Region Science Olympics event on March 18th at Peace River High School and readings and award prizes' That's the car so moves okay all those in favor
9: thank you what time does this event start uh we start uh probably around eight o'clock in the morning but the prizes and events are around 250
6: 2
0: 250 okay so we won't I'll uh, there for the full day in <laughs> we'll get to the tail end of it and then
3: presentations around
0: that. Okay, great. Pleased to attend. Okay, the next event we have uh, grants to groups. uh, Director Bell, we're looking at a policy.
8: and council uh, the report this evening before you is in regards to the council grants to organizations policy this is the fourth update I believe of this policy and is presented this evening for councils adoption or an opportunity for any further refinement From the last uh, review (coughs) at the Governance and Priorities meeting, uh, additional comments that were provided by Council have been incorporated into the policy. Um, They include items such as reducing the grant intake to three times per year, um, down from the four or actually five that was in the policy originally. There's an addition of capital requests but with a maximum Ask on each of those applications to five thousand dollars. Definition of capital and operating added to the policy for the purposes of the policy, not necessarily our definitions for other components, but definitions for related to this policy, and then also um, the. Language around if there's unspent funds in one of the intake periods, those funds do carry forward to a future intake period within that same year. So if council has any further direction, thoughts, changes, or the policy is presented for your adoption. Councilors?
0: I have one or more. Um, and under uh, Section 12 Financial, um, the 12.6, so it says 30% of the annual grants to organizations budget will be allocated to capital requests. So I just question, you know, the usual will, may, and shall uh, wording there. Yes, we can make an adjustment, absolutely. Because I'm thinking will, no matter what happens, we're giving out this money. We could do a may. May okay. good catch. That's a very good catch. Yeah, and um, so um, I, if I'm if I'm representing a group, I could apply to uh, have some capital for my event, pretty well, and some other money for whatever else. Yep. So I I could apply to the max of whatever's given out that, correct, um, four months. Okay. No, nope, just understanding that. Yep. Uh, counselors no more questions um i see in here that there is a, an aspect that uh, one of the criteria for the grading of an application has to do with whether or not um, the group has um, uh, tried to find funding from other sources correct um is there something somewhere in the application where you, you ask them that i think i maybe read 2000 didn't find didn't occur well,
8: if I should. It's in the evaluation component. Yeah. So um,
0: I know it's in the evaluation. So when they're applying, do they write it someplace yeah. so you you know, or you always have to go ask them or something?
8: I am randomly flipping through the pages to, of the application to see if yeah, it, that's what I did, mean, and it I wasn't sure. and I don't. Maybe in the budget?
5: There is a section on fiscal sustainability I that I suppose would be a good spot for that, but it's not yeah. explicitly.
8: No, it doesn't show. We ask um, within the income section of the budget if there are con- contributions from other municipalities, uh, provincial or federal, but no other um, indication of other income.
0: Because I'm thinking that. Um, Group A may have a wonderful sponsor, uh, business X. Yeah. So that would be maybe part of their income, but how do we know? I don't know. I we, mean, what I'm saying anymore on this. I, we thing. can identify
8: um, clear language within the budget of asking the organizations to provide us a breakdown of their sponsorship income. Their um, I can't get past mentally sponsorship, but yeah. other forms of income that they're anticipating. The intent of the empty lines is that they fill those in with that information, but maybe we could just be a little more prescriptive. Yeah. yeah. If I was applying, I'd like
0: prescriptive, and then I think I, I'm telling them what they wanted to be told, sort of thing. But that's only me. So, any, any further comments, people? Counselor
3: card.
5: Is there something in there? And I know we discussed this a while back for uh, for them to report back or uh, yes. thank you or anything like that. I didn't see it. But the, it,
9: it
8: there, so.
5: uh, On page ten,
8: yeah.
1: Final report.
8: Yeah, page ten is the beginning of the final report document, um, and we did uh, have the there was currently actual number of participants asked for statistical i also added uh number of volunteers and number of volunteer hours cuz that's always a, a really useful piece of information too so the intent is that this the um, sorry this report final report would be sent to the organization after they've been approved and they would have to provide it back to administration which council we can share with the council <coughs>
0: Any other comments, questions? Okay, would someone maybe be here <laughs> to move that Council approve the revised Council Grants to or- Organizations Policy uh, number P1249C as amended? Councillor Good, so moves. All those in favor? It is carried. Thank you, and thank you, Councilor- Director <laughs> Dell, for all of that <laughs> work on that one. Okay, now here we go we'll get on another interesting one, I would think. Um, CAO Miller, Leased Vehicle Buyout.
6: Thank you, Yosha. So this Request for Decision uh, Administration is seeking a motion from Council to authorize the purchase of one of the leased vehicles that we have that's about to come up for renewal on March 31st. Um, so just a bit of background. As a practice, many municipi- or some municipalities have moved to a, a leasing of all their fleet vehicles. And in 2019, the town here entered into a pilot project to lease four vehicles with Enterprise. And since then, the project has evolved to pretty much where all our uh, fleet vehicles are leased. In theory, this practice suggests cost efficiencies would be realized particularly in relation to fleet maintenance and uh, fuel consumption and also make sure that the town always has a reliable um, fleet inventory of vehicles. However, when you do move to um, a leasing program, it does put considerable pressure on your operating budget as the fleet expands. So currently the town has 24 vehicles leased with Enterprise at a monthly cost of roughly 34000 and now that we're three full years into the program um, we are undergoing a complete review of the leasing program to validate those initial assumptions that were provided by Enterprise. So in the meantime, we do have a vehicle that is coming due as it's outlined there. It's a 2020 Chevrolet Silverado 3500. It has 32,000 kilometers on it. It's used by our public works team. It was originally leased for 36 months, and it's due for renewal on March 31st. So we're able to buy that out at the end of the term for 15,663 plus a service charge. Looking on Auto Trader. These vehicles with um, double the kilometers are selling around $59,000, So currently we're paying $1,057 per month for the lease payments. Um, if we were able to buy this out, uh, the total with the lease payments and the residual buyout, it would be 53735 seven thirty five for this truck. If we can remove this from our operating cost we will from now to the end of the year we'll save 9500 off our operating expense uh, that could go towards replenishing our vehicle reserve again if we buy this 15000 out as opposed to um <clears throat> if we continue to lease um it is about sorry 10000 over the annual amortization cost that hits our operating budget so lease payments hit our operating budget Um, the when we purchase it the amortization expense is what hits our operating budget and vehicles we amortize over 10 years so this one left shows uh so i just got to catch up to my notes here so in a 10-year amortization cycle, this um, continued lease expense reduces pressure on our annual operating requisition over the next years by 10000 a year, as opposed to the annual amortization expense. Does that make sense to everybody?
5: Fifteen seven for this vehicle makes sense to me. And I, the rest of it.
6: So again, matter. fifty-seven is cheap, it makes sense and it does reduce when we own the vehicle it it puts a lot less pressure on our operating budget every year because our operating budget we have to collect enough money to pay the annual lease payments, right? And um, as opposed to having the money up front to pay cash for the vehicle. But if you can pay cash as a capital purchase it's far cheaper on your operating expense. You just have to have the cash up front. So in this case, as, as you mentioned, we're looking to uh, authority to buy this out. We have four more coming up in September, so we'll have by then a good analysis of our lease program and we'll be bringing some further
3: recommendation forward in the fall. The calls are good? um i like all the information you've given here and especially the part about the report coming back on the on the analysis because one of the reasons that we entered into it four years you know four years ago around 2019 was um historically the town of peace river had trucks that were almost 20 years old and um, looked like they ran not as well as that and so the your maintenance costs and stuff were um considerable so i think what I'm really looking forward to seeing, I think it's a good idea to do this one, as Byron said, 15000 for fifty nine. you dollars Your payments went into it, but you're still getting, today if you were going to buy it, you'd be paying 60000 to buy it, roughly $55,000, $60,000, whatever the amount of money was here. Um, I think it's a good buy but I still want to see all that that analysis to find out do we continue with this program or do we buy these vehicles out at the end or how do we proceed from there? And I think that's going to be really important to have.
0: Thank you. Councilor Carr, what do you think about this deal?
5: Sounds like a real steal (laughs) from a guy that drives a 20 year old truck. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So uh, I too will be looking forward to the um, the report on how this goes because I realize on one hand it gets your operating on the other hand it gets your capital budget so it's kind of the balance and what you think about your um, vehicles you have in yeah it's going to get you one way or the other it just depends on how you're feeling about the timing sometimes other comments yeah, you're good. how does
5: the uh i'll say public works department i'm assuming they're the ones that are driving the one to view uh, how do they like the leasing program and running we'll say more current equipment
9: no they're very appreciative
5: speaking of upgrades
9: <laughs> no, for both the not only public works, but also our wastewater, uh, water department, and community services as well. We're all using the waste vehicles now. So the, the big thing is, you know, we're uh, in a much better position than we were four or five years ago, where, you know, we, had, we were struggling to find capital dollars to purchase trucks, and they're we were getting raked over the coals going to the dealership and buying one or two vehicles, and having to pay, you know, almost pretty much the full MSRP, rather than going to the enterprise program where they can get factory pricing and enjoying some of the benefits that way. And also, you know, and are Gidney very correct. You know, we had a lot of maintenance costs back then that we're not seeing now. So, we are enjoying some of that benefit and then just overall the pride that our operators have in in driving good equipment as well, is appreciated. Good,
0: thank you. Any other uh, questions? Okay, Uh, we've got a recommendation in front of us, proposed motion anyone willing to put forth that counselor I'll move that
5: council approve the buyout of the lease vehicle unit number 107 being a 2020 Chevrolet Silverado 3500 HD LT 404 crew cab for a purchase price of
0: $15,700 such funds to come from the general capital reserve any further discussion all those in favor of the motion it is carried thank you okay uh, my thoughts are that we will um, Carry on with the um, agenda until we get to the close portion. We'll have a break just before the close. So information uh, items, we or pardon me, reports. We've got Section Nine reports, the Municipal Planning Commission draft minutes of March seventh. Um, Councilors Carr, Good, and Scammerhorn we're at this one. Anything you would like to highlight?
5: A digital LED sign um, approved. For the West Hill,
4: um, close to the dealership.
0: Okay. Any questions on the MPC? Okay. The next uh, report was the um, the Economic Development Committee draft minutes, and um, Councillor Shannon, do you have anything to forward to us on this one? Um. I um
2: I'd like just to... I have nothing to report on the on the report, but I would like to mention the Growing the North conference yep. and the fact that um, you know um, many contacts were made there. I've already moved to secure some meetings, ranging from development to innovation, um, tourism. So it was a real benefit to the group, and um, some other members had also attended. Uh, Lane Gardner and Brandon Deuce both uh, were there as well. And um, I think it's, it's a real benefit to us and I think as time goes on our reports are going to get a lot more um, a lot more meatier and uh, at that time we can
0: probably talk about more of our plans great well, I look at your agenda and your uh, minutes and think they must talk awfully fast to try and get through all of that put it that way uh, any questions of councillor Shannon on that report Okay, the last one is the Peace Library System, of which I am the rep, and uh, this is just a one pager from our last meeting. Uh, Basically, things like IT are getting upgraded on a continual basis. Um, The library has uh, talked with the Paddle Prairie Métis Settlement Library, and they were um, uh, basically, they got flooded. So the flood that happened several years ago, they're still getting back to uh, what they were. And they've now uh, located a business and the library is setting up the internet and the systems that they need so they can have a library in their settlement again. Any questions on that? Would someone like to move the council accept report items one through nine three for information? Councilor Carr, all those in favor of that? it is carried thank you okay we've got information items so we have the first one the information uh, council communication packages of uh, February 24th and March 3rd we seem to get a lot of um, email correspondence and information that goes into this so any questions on any of those items in the communications packages okay then we had uh, a copy of northern sunrises uh, letter to nav canada and that is in the agenda package for everyone's review and then thirdly we have the march 6 governance and priorities draft minutes which are just for information so if someone would like to move the council accept information items 101 through 103 for information comes the so moves all those in favor it is carried thank you any notices of motion um, no there is any question great comments from the public well welcome to our meeting every day. Uh-huh. Uh, key communication items what would we like to have highlighted for our communication items today We've got the um, policy on uh, grants to, council grants to organizations, perhaps, to start uh, bringing that up. And not quite sure, the first date was March 15th, so we're kind of a little out of whack there, but the next one will be coming up and we might have some applications, I guess. I would take the RCMP RCMP priorities. Okay, so we need to uh, have a discussion about those. That'll be upcoming, but it's a report. Um, well, we have various uh, fees and um, charges bylaws. Anything, uh, how about the um, uh, Ms. Modi's um, report on amendments, the land use bylaw and the municipal development plan related to the West Hill uh, proposed development? Probably one that will be highlighted both by a public hearing type of process as well as anything we can put forward. Uh, Science Fair Olympics this weekend. It's always good to see people and see what those students are doing.
5: So, yeah, Director mcquig and uh, EIT uh, Thomas will also be um, there in a volunteer capacity. So, you know, I think that would be a really good feel good positive highlight that we could put out as well and that's more i'm I'm taking a few i've got about three teams going from my school but i didn't know that there would be 80 uh, students there so uh, that's a lot tough competition i'll have to tell my students that they better bring their a-game or i'll just walk out before they embarrass me
0: (laughs) is this the first in-person since COVID? or okay so that's another good it. Okay, so we've got all of those, and uh, thank you, Mr. McQuig for also uh, probably being one of the behind-the-scenes big organizers of the event, so thank you. And Mr. Mr. Scamahorn is uh, coaching those students along quite nicely. Well, yeah. Participation <laughs> counts and that sort of thing, and I think you have to put time in. Okay, so I think uh, I will... a little uh, break. Let's have a 10 minute break, more or less. We're back here at 640. Thank you.